Obsolescence is defined as the process of becoming obsolete or outdated and no longer used. Old-fashioned versus newfangled. Especially in today's world, shiny objects get the attention. But this also creates an ever-increasing amount of obsolete things. Sometimes innovation even makes certain jobs obsolete. What do we do with all these things now that are just left around? Are we too quick to call something not useful anymore just because it's not the newest thing? Think on this and formulate some questions of your own as we launch out onto the loop and discuss the implications of obsolescence on Curiosity Continuum. Hey everybody, this is Josh. Thank you for joining us today on Curiosity Continuum. For those of you tuning in for the first time, Curiosity Continuum is a podcast and movement started by two lifelong friends who want to spark your curiosity, help you integrate information, enhance your everyday contextual awareness in a constantly changing world. We're going to do this by sharing conversations with you that explore, examine, and reframe common practical topics. CuriosityContinuum.com is our website HQ that has all the links to be able to listen to us on all the major platforms, follow us on our social media. And most importantly, make sure you interact and rate us on your favorite platforms. That helps to uh, find new audiences for us. And if you find that these conversations are helpful to you, uh, sharing is caring. So always <laughs> love that. Uh, you know, um, Josh, before we get into the episode today, I had a really nice piece of feedback from a young man in his 20s. Okay. And he uh, he's about halfway through college right now. And as he had listened to the podcast, he said, you know, you bring up some really good points uh, and he was kind of talking more about um, the educational piece of it. He was saying there's so many of my classmates and sometimes myself even, and he's uh, going into an engineering major where he said people almost feel trapped into this particular path because it was either A, that was what expect, what was expected of right. them, or it's like that's just kind of what you do because they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily know what's the other way to do it. And I think... Uh, that's one of the reasons why we do this podcast, just to help people rethink and reapproach what they would call their life um, and you know, kind of consider another perspective or another path forward. Yeah, and I mean, I totally agree with that. And I, I do think that it's also, it just gives you the a more perspective from the other side, maybe, so that you might be able to make a more educated decision for yourself. Because not everybody is going to want to do everything that somebody tells them to do. Right. Part of the the beauty of self-discovery is that we're all designed differently. And as those giftings kind of become unlocked in our life, it's always good to know there's other paths available. And I think so many times, too, we can wrap it up just in our own immediate cultural context that we say, hey, there's other options um, out there. Just if you travel the world or you go to another place, life is different, even just a different city. And it's uh, kind of a fun experience. Anyway, thank you for those comments. And uh, please keep them coming in. So today's topic, Josh, is the implications of obsolescence. And you sent me a really interesting article, and I, I took a peruse through I'm like, this would be a really uh, good thing to kind of start with. Do you want to share that? Sure. So this article is about the centennial light, and it's recognized by the world's longest, as the world's longest lasting light bulb. Now you're thinking, oh yeah, how long is that, you know, since last week? When I put it in my 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 <laughs> my lamp, no, this one is actually has been um, burning since June of 1901. That's 118 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's it's old, and um, obviously there's times when it wasn't on, but there now that it's on this, it's in this fire station um, in Livermore, California, 
it's actually maintained by the the fire department there. It's on a it's on a continuous power supply, and it's all it's at a sixty watt light bulb, but burns at about four watts. And they're not there. There has been times when it's like burned a little more and a little less, and they're not really sure why it just keeps going, but it does. It's the ghost in the machine. Josh. Yeah. So just so um, you guys know what we're talking about too, we will post this link to this article on our social media too. Yeah, it'd be a, it's an interesting article to read mm-hmm. for sure. Um, this is kind of proof positive. In this world, I think of light bulbs as very disposable. Only recently, I with all the LED lighting that's become available, do you start to think like, oh, hey, this could actually last longer than a right. month, a week, yeah. a year, you know? And of course, like there's light bulbs that are available, but like if we ever wondered like, why can't they make a light bulb that lasts? Well, they well, did. They do. <laughs> they, they did 118 years ago. And so this is really interesting because, you know, around the 30s, 40s, 50s and everything, there were corporations that began to do what's called planned obsolescence. And really what it was doing is trying to stoke commerce and uh, almost keep people in a buying cycle of things. Now, some of that you could say, hey, it's because of innovation, but some of it too is a consumer-driven exercise by companies that wanted them to buy. And if you think about that, it's almost, you know, we're in a consumerist economy in the United States. So if we don't keep buying stuff, our economy doesn't keep going. Right. So I think maybe that these companies realized, well, instead of making one thing and then they just buy it one time, let's make something that they'll buy, you know, every year for the rest of their lives. Again and again. So yeah. in context to it, during, you know, after coming out of the Great Depression, and now this is in between World War One and World War Two, and World War Two was just beginning to bubble up, obviously, uh, in the late 30s and things, you had these uh, things, well, how do we get people moving again? How do we move the economy again, right? right? They already knew how to do things well, at least for that particular stage. And they're like, well, what if we didn't do it as well? It sounds funny, but what if we did it well enough that it just lasted? Just good enough. Just yep. good enough, you know? And you meet the minimum requirement. Um, but that was actually a shift in expectations. You know, my grandpa was, on my mom's side, was a carp- was a master carpenter. And, you know, I actually stole his uh, jack. He actually, boy, he gave it to me. He had had the carpenter's union on. I always got questions like, well, how did you get that jacket? I'm like, well, that was my, my grandpa that gave it to me. They, they kind of looked at me funny. But um, he had this drill. And I thought, grandpa, why don't you just get a new drill? And that's when I was young. But this thing was around... I think in the from the early 30s, you know, and sure. when I saw this thing, it was the late 90s or something. And this thing was still going strong. Now, it was kind of like the one trick pony. It went forward and it drilled something. But this thing still worked. And that was what was so remarkable. This thing kept working. And so there was actually a company recently that I heard where they built a product so well that they actually went out of business because no one needed maintenance on it, which is a good thing, but a sad thing too, if you're the business. It's like, we should, we should fund that company. <laughs> exactly. It's called Curiosity Continuum, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Right yep. You know? Um, but I know like Josh, so your, your grandpa up in, up in Michigan doing, doing lumber mill work and stuff like that. Like he yep. had to have tools that lasted or if he didn't, yeah, he had to fix them. Yeah, that's true. And um, he still used until the day he died, or not the day he died, but you know, until he got sick and, and until he stopped working, they they used antique equipment because um, it worked. And yeah, he has an antique uh, lo, lo, uh, mill operation, which is was actually pretty awesome to see. 
And um, it was funny because this kind of brings me back just to a quick story. Yesterday, or I think it was maybe a couple of days ago, my wife and I were out watching TV and they were showing a mill. And it was not the one my grandpa used. It was even it was still considered an, like an antique mill, but it was newer than what he used. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and she's like, oh, this is what you did? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like this is more. much easier than what we did. Yeah, but it's just uh, it's almost like if it's not broke, why are we fixing it? Type right. thing. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes right. it's, it's it can stifle the innovation piece of it. So there, there's kind of a counterbalance with it because for your, for your grandpa to do that, he knew how to do it and he was effective at what he did and he was known for his quality. I know you'd shared that as far as like he was known yep. for what he did. Um, there was a lady that I used to work with at, at a, at a hotel and she was a really excellent, I think it was a bookkeeper and everything matched to the penny every single month. And she was doing it on paper until like, you know, fairly recently. And like, but then when she switched over, like it was a big change for her and she was near the end of her career too. So it wasn't like, Hey, I just got out of college. Right. I'm just doing it on paper, but she had to learn to do it there. And it made the paper ledger portion of it obsolete. But what it was so good about the analog process is that it taught her process. You know, there's innovations now. Right. Sure, you run it through and do this. But even uh, so, you know, Curiosity Continuum, like every every good venture has a good banker to help them, you know, put, put checks in and do things. And um, they showed me their latest branch. And I was really intrigued by it because they had a video screen for customer service on the ATM. And I asked, I said, what happens in the, in the event that like the internet goes down? And they said, well, we still have a manual process. You know, we just go old school and we'll, we'll get it done. And I find it remarkable that even in the age of innovation, you still have to have those things there because analog doesn't go away, actually. It just, it just the, the frequency which you use it may change. And not, and you will, you will, if you do not have a process for something and when you lose power, you will find out. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> when you lose power... Um, at least I've found out that I find out real quickly where my where my weak points are in, in my planning, <laughs> <laughs> like very quickly. In this world, when you don't have electric, I mean, it's just it's amazing. Yeah, you know, um, there was a, a gentleman who I know who does a lot of construction and and big things like that, and talks to a lot of city planners and things. And one of the the major concerns of of any like town or municipality or city where you live is always the power grid. And sure. especially in first first world situations like we're we're blessed to be in, you kind of take that for granted. Oh, and, you do. You take for granted the constant flow of power, like when I plug something in or turn on a light, that it's going to work. It just works, right? Yeah. That, <laughs> you yeah. know, it made like uh, a lot of you know candles now decorative. It's not like a necessity for you to be able to have light in your home. You know? Right. Josh, you just installed a new fan in your office. I did, and you said it was it was a like a new light bulb that was you know a special. Yeah, it was, a, it was a special LED light bulb that was only six. It could only be maximum of six and a half watts. Well, I don't know if you if anybody has ever tried to find a six and a half watt light bulb that gives out some kind of decent light, but um, like at least nine hundred lumens. Like I, I wanted something like equivalent to like a sixty watt light bulb of light. You know, I looked for a good forty five minutes. <laughs> At Home Depot <laughs> through every single light bulb and like every single light bulb was like the lowest I could find was like 9.5 watts because 6.5 like, was obsolete to somebody so this is then I finally found a 5.5 one and I'm like no I don't want that low 
Yeah. <laughs> so I found it. I found it, but it was like there was one option. Yeah. One choice. That that's kind of the issue um, as we continue to innovate and you look at all the obsolete things. Like for example, I went to the thrift store the other day because there's always uh, gems of the analog uh, things, just old things that are fun. Or you know, you can mm-hmm. actually like for this particular thrift store, um, you find a lot of great deals on brand new stuff because people just drop stuff off and it's kind of fun. I find Josh some good old retro gaming things in there too sometimes. Yep. Um, there was actually an HD DVD player which obviously lost the war to Blu-ray. And um, what's so interesting is when you talk about obsolete things, sometimes it loses the standardization war, the adoption war, when you're talking about it. It's like it might not even be the best platform. I mean, VHS was far inferior to beta, but it won the format wars. You know, So beta kind of became an obsolete platform. Yeah, and the same thing with the HD DVD. Um, to my knowledge, that was a better format. It was more uh, quickly adopted. Like people liked it better they had more options on it than blu-rays but blu-ray just won yeah so i want to talk a little bit too um you know using this example of hey out with the old in with the new and just quickly touch on this idea because living in the united states you know if we have like something that's 50 years old we just think it's like absolutely ancient like oh my gosh it's 50 years old right but then you go to places like china or europe and they have entire parts of their city that is the old city and the new city. Yep. Um, Americans tend to have a very disposable mentality when it comes to just about everything. You know, like you're, you're uh, rehabbing houses, you're doing this, and, uh, you know, no disrespect to people who rehab houses. Our good friend does a lot of kitchen and bathroom design, and he does a killer job. But yeah. it's always about making something old new again. And so sometimes um, in you go to cities like London, like Josh, you visited London, like there's yeah. total places where there may be modern conveniences to a point but it's still old Old. it still functions as old yep and then there's like the new for example like they have the old city where all of your all the things you think of london is there and then the new city which is actually quite a distance away um and it's like all the business all the uh, skyscrapers and everything else is there so it's it really does separate it and it still keeps it the same at the same at the same time it's it's very interesting yeah i think because the united states was founded on people like they're going to go to the new world and do something new it's almost like that became the mantra like we need something new and innovative and yeah i I agree with that i also think it's because there was nothing here like big cities weren't here already true so i mean there were there were people here i'm not saying there weren't but i mean there they didn't have these sprawling metropolises you know yeah it it wasn't a european model of living right right it was a different more agrarian society Mm -hmm. yeah the thing also that comes to mind with all of this is not only there are things but there are jobs i mean so like how many telegraph operators lost their job after the telephone became the common usage of something you know i mean sure sure this whole other but they could have become a telephone operator um one of the things that I've heard recently from uh, a business colleague of mine, he's got three sons that are now kind of out, out and on their own in the world, and he's got some grandbabies and things. And the encouragement he gave them as they were going into college and things, he goes, find a career where you always need the human component. You know, because AI, as, as, yeah. as shiny and new as it sounds, it's really automating tasks that human beings did to help human beings come back to be more human so it's funny because there's this weird contrast between the more technological we come the more we actually need to be human in order to fill in the gaps where technology is not doing that 
Right. And I'll, I also would, would encourage people to think that what you go to school for, maybe not what you always do. I'm proof positive of that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You, you know? know? Um, but we, Josh and I are of the generation where the world that we were prepared for didn't emerge. Well, I'll tell not you this. The way, not not no, the way we thought. Re- not the way they told us. Right. And they so told we're us living we're all going to have 20-hour work weeks and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> computer was going to do most of my work. <laughs> yeah. Or it's right? like... But, in real- but what would happen in reality is they took half the people that did my job and got rid of them. Right. And now I'm doing the work of two people or three people mm-hmm. in 40 hours. <laughs> yeah. And some of those <laughs> things more. you can, yeah. but some of those things are like, okay, right. got it. You know, you're kind of pivoting. And the world that we're going to live in 20 years from now is going to be very different. The 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 abiding tie is that you will always need to be a human being living in the real world, doing human real world things. Even if you're working on the tech, you're innovating it or something like that. Like People always need a place to live. People always will have realities that they have to deal with on a regular basis. Keep that in mind because um, as long as you keep the, hey, how am I useful as a human being? and unique in how I am as a human being, that's going to make sure you never find yourself on the dusty shelf marked as obsolete because you will be indispensable in that process. Yeah, I think this is a great place to put a comment in the conversation, huh, Brian? I think so, too. This is a conversation, obviously, everybody, that could go in a few different directions if we wanted to spin off. Let us know. If you want us to kind of dive down the rabbit hole on maybe a different vertical of this, we'd love to do it for you. Until next time, this is Brian. And this is Josh for Curiosity Continuum.